This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode 37 of the Ned Ryan Podcast. I thought I'd do something a little bit different today. I would just take a couple topics from the headlines and kind of work through, talk through them with you uh, as we are, what, five days away uh, from the elections, and just kind of give you some perspective on what I think is happening, where I think things are going, uh, how do I think some of these narratives will actually impact uh, the elections, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, obviously, we've got the laptop from hell. Uh, this is something I've been talking about. I was on Tucker last night, top of the show, talking about some of it. Obviously, the night before, Tucker had spent the entire show. I was supposed to be on the night before um, uh, to, to have immediate live reaction to the uh, Bobolinsky interview. And then the producers got a hold of me later in the day, probably about five o'clock, and said, hey, we're going to push because we have so much tape. We're going to run the entire show of the taped interview with Tucker and uh, Tony Bobolinsky, and then we'll try and bring you on tomorrow, which was last night. So went on last night, and I wanted to make a few points. Obviously, you know, it's TV and you're compressed for time, so you've got to be very quick about it. A few things. First of all, I think... The point we were going to discuss, and Tucker skipped and we went on to other ones, was this idea of Joe Biden using these 50 former intelligence officers, officials, as a defense. That somehow Tony Bobolinsky's accusations are just Russian misinformation because these guys said so, because the emails are actually Russian misinformation. And what I was going to point out to Tucker is these are the same people, some of the exact same people that spun up the Russia hoax that were trying to take out in nothing less than a coup the duly elected president of the United States and destabilize our democracy. They lied and they deceived the American people. They're nothing short of seditious. So not a very good defense. But the other point that I was going to make, and they even admitted it in their letter, They even said towards the end that they don't have the emails. They have no proof that this is Russian misinformation. It just feels like it. So they've got the feels that somehow this is Russia, which of course it's not. Nobody has denied the validity of these emails or texts or audio that have been coming out from the laptop from hell. And the National Pulse with Raheem Ghassam has been doing a fantastic job on releasing some of this stuff, obviously the, one of the more troubling ones was the audio of Hunter talking about knowing that they were in business or at least connected with some, in some business deals with the spy chief of China. And if Hunter knew, Joe Biden knew. Uh, and then obviously now the new revelations of Tony Bobolinsky with emails, with texts, with audio that the Senate Homeland Security Committee yesterday confirmed have all been verified. So now you have verifiable proof that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were knowingly involved with the communist Chinese on some business deals. In fact, we're actively pursuing them. And and so then I made the point, you know, during the midst of the hit, that that Joe Biden, if you were to believe, and, and until I hear otherwise, I will believe this, that according to Hunter, Pops gets half the paycheck if there's, 5 million loan, which I say in air quotes, coming from the Chinese to the Biden family, I'm just going to assume, and I think it's probably safe to assume unless otherwise proven, unless Joe Biden says anything to the otherwise that he can actually verify, that he got two and a half of the 5 million from the communist Chinese. 
All right, so this guy's selling out of country to the great existential threat to our freedoms and to our standing uh, on, on the global stage. Why isn't the press covering this? I mean, there's literally, it's, it's, they're not even acknowledging that there have been allegations, much less pursuing anything within the story. Why would they do that? Because they're not journalists. And I think we need to disabuse ourselves of that fact, uh, of that term. These are partisan operatives masquerading as journalists. I mean, think about what they did with that Russia hoax that these, you know, the Brennans and the Clappers and the Comeys and the Clinton campaign all spun up about Russian collusion. So they gave it a veneer of respectability, obviously CIA, DNI, FBI, to allow these partisan operatives, masquerading as journalists, to act as nothing less than attack machine of the administrative state and the Democrats on the left to go after Donald Trump for four years. They weren't interested. They, they were running all of this off rumors and innuendo and anonymous sources and a fake dossier. They just needed a veneer of legitimacy, which Brandon and Clapper and all those guys were more than happy to give, to go after Trump. Therefore, they are, again, they're not journalists. So now you come to this where you've got somebody that's an eyewitness in the meetings with proof, actual conversations about what was going down with Joe Biden, that he is the big guy. He is the chairman. As I made the point last night on Tucker, there's no doubting now that my chairman, and Hunter refers to, is Joe Biden, that, you know, the chairman, I made this point that, I mean, I run organizations, right? When you reject good governance principles uh, and practices, there's a reason for that. It's because you want to avoid transparency and accountability. You don't want people to fully know what's going on. You want it to be opaque. You want there to be a very muddy picture of what's going on with, with financial, uh, the money being you know back and forth, where it's coming from, et cetera. Who's making what? Joe Biden, the chairman, uh, rejected Tony Bobolinsky's uh, request for good governance. Th- there's a reason for that. When you do that, it, it shows that you don't want people truly knowing what's going on. So the media won't cover this because they're partisan operatives. They won't ask questions, even though there's verifiable proof. Again, why won't they? Because they're acting as the de facto Biden campaign, right? They're, they're protect- they have been basically running the campaign. They have defended and protected this guy, acting as his crisis communications acting as his communications defense team, and then acting as attack togs on Donald Trump. But what they've done, they have arrayed themselves against Trump and the American people. They are the enemy of the people, just so we're clear. Whatever, however you want to call the media, whatever you want to call them, partisan operatives, masquerading as journalists, uh, mainstream media, biased, whatever. Whatever that entity is and how you would, what you, how you would describe it, They have absolutely come out and arrayed themselves in a very obvious way against Donald Trump and the American people. They are the enemy of the American people. They are the enemy of the truth. They are the enemy of facts. And what they have decided, I mean, and I made this point, you know, the Washington Post absurdly, arrogantly, it's asinine, says democracy dies in darkness. Well, (laughs) fact of the matter is, This so-called media is the darkness where democracy dies because you cannot have a free society 
when you are hiding the facts and the truth from the American people. The, the role of a press in a free society is for it to be free. Of course, I, I, I'm not going to quibble that. To be honest, to be reporting the facts about what is taking place to inform the people so that they can make good decisions. That is the role of, of the press in a free society. Well, what we have today with these partisan operatives masquerading as journalists, we have we don't have a free press. We don't have an honest press. We have an entity that's not interested in facts. It's not interested in truth. It is interested in being the mouthpiece and attack machine for the administrative state and those that believe in it, Democrats, leftists, etc. They are interested in a one-party rule that revolves around administrative state uh, governing philosophy. It's command and control. That's what they're interested in. And they will do anything. They will lie. They will cheat. They'll put out bogus polls, which I'll talk about in a little bit. They will do anything within their power, and it is still, although we like to be dismissive of it at times, the power of the mainstream press is still not, it's not insignificant, right? And so then now you take the mainstream media, you take big tech, you take all of these things, and it is truly one of those times, it's, it, it, we are in a deeply troubling, scary time in this country because there are people who have immense power that are not interested in the free flow of information. They're not interested in the American people being fully educated on everything that's taking place. They are far more interested in making sure the American people only see what they want them to see that lines up with their narrative, with their worldview. It's not the truth, but it is an alternate reality. So this this entire laptop from hell, will it have an impact? I, I will say this. When you have seven and a half million viewers of Tucker Carlson's interview of Tony Bobolinsky, that's significant. I mean, he was already setting records. Tucker was. He had 5.4 million viewers in October on average, which is staggering. Uh, he'd, he's already set records as, as the most successful cable news show uh, in history uh, earlier this year with quarterly average quarterly viewership. It was for some 4.4, 4.5, whatever million it was. So he's having an amazing run right now tack on a couple more million viewers, it means that it went above and beyond, obviously, his regular viewership. There are other people that are very interested in this story. So there, there's a lot of chatter that's going on despite the media's attempts and big tech's attempts to squash it, to push it off to the side, to act as though it doesn't exist. I mean, I've heard, and this is anecdotal, again, but there, there, there are stories coming back where people overhear other people in coffee shops in California talking about the Hunter Biden situation. All right, when you're, when you're having people in coffee shops in California talking about Hunter Biden, you have started to break through. It, it's despite their best attempts, the media and the big tech oligarchs to censor this, it's still getting through. The question is, will it have an impact? I think it will on some level. Uh, is it going to be massive? No. Uh, again, if we had a free and honest press, it would. And... and Enough that, that it might actually have forced Joe Biden out of the race. As it is, do I think it will impact some votes? I do. Quite frankly, I don't care where it impacts those votes unless it's in battleground states. Um, you know, it, the, the other reason it probably won't have as big an impact is because so many people have already voted. I mean, you're seeing states that have already hit their 80% vote totals of 2016 a day or two ago. 
A lot of people have already voted as this news is breaking. That all to say, there's still there are still tens of millions of voters out there who are still making up their their who haven't voted. I don't know if they haven't made up their mind or not, but they haven't voted. They're going to vote on November third, or between now and November third. So it does have the potential to have some sort of impact. We'll just have to see what it looks like. I will say this: God forbid Joe Biden wins. There's so many implications, obviously, with China heavily compromised. I mean, he'll collapse the only economic and military power, America, that has the ability to actually confront China. He'll collapse us from within because he's so heavily compromised. He wouldn't be able to challenge China on trade or technology, any of those things. Um, But I also think this, I'm not even fully convinced that there would be a Joe Biden, right? Because I think Democrats would use this as an excuse because they don't want him. Come on. He's an empty husk. He's semi-senile. He's only, he's been a Trojan horse. Joe Biden is not really the candidate. It's Kamala Harris, who's wildly unpopular, by the way. This is why they've been hiding her. But now that they have this as additional ammunition, again, the 25th Amendment that Pelosi's been talking about, that's not Trump. It has nothing to do with Trump. It has everything to do with getting Biden out of the way and getting Harris into the White House, because they know she'll give them anything they want on the far-left agenda. I think now, with enough verifiable proof that is politically inconvenient before the elections— but after the elections, if Joe Biden were to win, guess who would be using that against him? Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, probably even Kamala Harris, to get him out as quickly as possible. I've told my wife this, and I know I've mentioned this on this podcast. I don't think uh, Joe Biden makes it the first year. Before this, before all of these revelations came out about some of these very, very suspicious and sketchy business deals, I was convinced he was going to be gone in the first six to nine months. My hope is that we'll never know. My hope is that we'll never know if I was right or wrong because he won't win uh, on Tuesday. Uh, which leads me to my next point. Will we actually know Tuesday night who has actually won the White House? I think there's a potential to know that, and I think there's a potential to not know that. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, so we've gotten some good, as I mentioned in the last podcast, obviously some good news on the court cases up in Wisconsin and Michigan. Ballots have to be in and counted by 8 p.m. night on November 3rd. Bad news in Pennsylvania. Obviously, the Supreme Court, a hyperpartisan political Supreme Court, has decided three-day extension. The Supreme Court, with that disgrace, Chief Justice John Roberts has agreed with them. Furthermore, signatures don't have to match uh, the name on the ballots uh, in Pennsylvania. There are a lot of problems in Pennsylvania. So we're not going to know maybe for three days. Well, we're not going to know for three days after the election who won Pennsylvania, which is a significant state. I don't think it'll come down to Pennsylvania, but it might because of what took place yesterday in which the Supreme Court decided they were not going to take up the North Carolina case in which uh, the Board of Elections in uh, North Carolina decided that they were going to uh, extend the election to November 12th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Nine days after election day, uh, the state board of elections decided we're going to give an extra grace period for absentee ballots to arrive. So you're not going to be able to count up the vote total in North Carolina until November 12th. Okay, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, obviously two key states. If it was only one or the other, I would say we might know on the 9th of November 3rd who's going to win. Because there are enough states that have, you've got to get the votes in. They've got to be counted by November 3rd. 
that it might be statistically impossible for someone to overtake, for, for Biden to overtake Trump, which I think is going to be the scenario. I, I think Trump's going to be in the lead by the time we go to bed November 3rd. Trump will be in the lead, especially in the Electoral College, maybe even the popular vote. And then it becomes a question over the next three to nine days, you know, what states are still trickling in on counting votes to see where this all ends up. I think at that point, Trump would lose the popular vote. But he might have enough of a lead in the Electoral College to hold on regardless, even if Pennsylvania and North Carolina don't get fully counted for you know, nine days. They might not matter. That all to say, going back to North Carolina, Supreme Court, 5-3, decided to leave undisturbed the decision by the State Board of Elections to extend from a three, three days to nine days this grace period. That all to say, as, as if it might be some small consolation, the absentee ballots still have to be postmarked uh, by election day and receive no later than 5 p.m. on November 12th. Not that it really matters. First of all, I'm just, this is complete idiocy. Again, anytime you start to mess with the integrity of the elections, you're doing it for a reason. You're doing it in hopes to manipulate the election. We have to get back to and we have to figure out how we have election day on election day. That's how we do it. November 3rd, should every, it should be a national holiday. Election to the, fir, the after the first month, the first Tuesday after the first Monday is how it's always been understood for the last what, 150, 160 years, right? Which, by the way, was based off harvest time. Just so you know, Congress decided that it would make sense to have it. Uh, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November was going to be the election day. It, it, it was a convenient date based off the harvesting. We have to go back and where we decide, again, unless in extreme circumstances, military service, health, etc., you're going to vote on election day. And we have to do it in such a way that we can't have all the silliness where you've got 60 days of early voting or 30 days of early voting or absentee ballots or only mail-in. This is a massive responsibility that the American citizens have. The integrity of the vote is a huge deal, and Democrats have done everything they can to undermine the integrity and the honesty of our vote. So moving on, um, North Carolina, obviously, that's, that's going to impact what takes place. How much is it going to impact this uh, good news that our GDP grew over 33% in the third quarter? I think it's going to have an impact. Again, knowing that a lot of people have already voted, there's still a lot of people that haven't voted. This is fantastic news for the country that Donald Trump can now go over the last five days of the election and say, look, I told you we were going to have a V-shaped recovery. We were going to bounce back unbelievably fast. You know, we're still going to be down a few points. I think it's three or four points overall annual GDP. But when you remember back to March, April, May, how devastating, tens of millions of Americans out of jobs, GDP crashing, we bounced back 33% in the third quarter alone. I mean, that's insane. It's, it's incredible. I think I heard somebody say it's the best uh, quarter, quarterly growth since World War II. So this is fantastic. It's a good narrative that Trump is going to have going into Election Day that, look, I told you. I told you this was going to happen. It's happened. Stick with me. That we have come through coronavirus. We've come through all of these things. I built a great economy before all of this. I will build it again. Look, here's more proof of that. So I think it's going to help some people that, that are still s- semi-undecided, which there are still undecided voters 
It's not nearly what it has been historically, but there still are some. I know it sounds crazy that, that people would still be waiting to decide or still undecided five days out. They're out there. I'm not saying that it's 10 points. I'm saying it's probably like two or three points. But that, that could be all the difference in a battleground state. Um, poll numbers not matching any rally numbers. They're not matching it. And it's pretty insane to me. Uh, for example, yesterday, ABC Washington Post came out with one of the dumbest polls I've ever seen in my life. Not, I mean, staggeringly stupid. That somehow uh, Joe Biden, among likely voters, is up 17 points in Wisconsin. I mean, that, it barely passes. It doesn't pass the laugh test. That's insane. It's beyond stupid. There's no way that Joe Biden's up. How do I know that? Because of a couple different things. So the Marquette poll, Marquette uh, in Milwaukee, comes out with a poll, usually comes out, what, five days before, six days before the elections. It's their final poll in which they, you know, here's, here's what the, the last poll is. Less than a week out from Election Day, who's going to win the state? Right. Well, in 2016, Hillary Clinton was up six points in the Marquette poll. Yesterday's poll, depending on turnout models, a smaller turnout or a bigger turnout showed Biden winning by four. A smaller turnout showed him winning by three. So winning by multiple points, uh, less, fewer points than Hillary was up. And of course, guess who didn't win Wisconsin? It was Hillary. She was up six points in Marquette, ends up losing, albeit by a relatively small margin. But call it six and a half. Well, it was like seven points, right? There's a seven-point swing between Marquette and final election, something like that. If you were to apply that same math, uh, it means that, that Donald Trump is probably in the driver's seat to win narrowly the state of Wisconsin. And then you have ABC, Washington Post, less than a week out saying Biden's up by 17. It's insane. The other thing that doesn't make sense is when they said uh, Biden's up by nine points in Michigan. Really? Is that why you're sending Obama and Biden into Michigan on Saturday before the elections? You don't send those people, you don't send the candidate and the former president into a battleground state if you think you have it locked up. You go elsewhere. So they're sending him those two into Michigan on Saturday, which tells you they do not think that state is locked down not by a long shot because you had Trafalgar that came out showing... Uh, Trump actually leading in Michigan, which, by the way, Trafalgar showed Biden up by half a point, roughly, in Wisconsin. They show Trump winning Michigan. So this all to say these polls, uh, again, are, are very screwy. I, I think that there's been a lot of waiting. I think there's a lot of bias that goes into a lot of these polls. And the question is, who's going to be the most accurate after Election Day when the dust has settled? I've always looked at Rasmussen. I've always looked at Trafalgar. I think Susquehanna is something else to look at. And then I've looked at IBD tip. So let's see where these polls shake out. The other thing, though, that I've, the observation I've made to friends, the crowds that Trump is getting in 2020 are insane. In fact, they are two, three times bigger than what he was getting in 2016. And people realized after 2016 elections oh, these rallies actually were significant. Yeah, they were, because people got fired up. They were kind of, I mean, they were get-out-the-vote rallies, got people fired up to go to the polls, grab their friends and family and go. But it was also a way for, obviously, we're now inside voter registration deadlines, but before voter registration deadlines, it was a way for them to identify people that were not active, people that were not registered to vote, Democrats, etc. And it was a way for them to do identification to target their get-out-the-vote efforts post-rally to those that had attended. Now, double and triple those numbers in 2020 is over 2016. That's what's been taking place. 
I mean, the size of the crowds are insane, and he's doing two, three, four a day. And he's hitting Florida and North Carolina today. I know it's going into Rochester. Trump is Minnesota, I think, on Friday. Uh, he's going to be everywhere between now and Election Day. Do I think that it's going to impact some of the turnout vote in the battleground states? Absolutely. The enthusiasm gap is insane between Trump and Biden. So the poll numbers are not matching the reality of rally numbers, nor are they matching the reality of early in-person voting. You know, people will scream, oh, you know, the, the, the poll numbers are showing that uh, it's going to be close in Florida or it's going to be close in some of these states. Look at the early voting, in-person voting numbers, and honest Democratic operatives are also looking at the same ones. And there is a growing sense of anxiety among them because they realize there are certain trends that are hardening the closer we get to Election Day that make it almost impossible to reverse, right? You can't reverse these trends. The more they continue, the harder they, harder they set in. Uh, you can't reverse them. There's real problems for Biden in Florida. I think Florida's off the map, quite frankly, that Trump's got it. I think Ohio's off the map. Uh, Georgia and Texas, again, were never that serious. We'll see about Arizona, North Carolina, and Iowa. He wins those. Trump does. He's just got to win Michigan. He doesn't even need Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. So I have to tell you, that's why I was a little frustrated by the Supreme Court decision yesterday, which, oh, by the way, Kavanaugh, you know, screwed the pooch. And uh, ACB... um, recused herself because she had to get up to speed, obviously just got sworn in. Um, the last thing I'll hit today, well, there's two last things I'm going to hit today. One, if you've been following the news, the revelation of anonymous uh, Miles Taylor, who for a brief period of time was chief of staff at Department of Homeland Security. But even during the time when he wrote the anonymous piece for New York Times back in 2018, he was not. He was a policy advisor. And then he wrote a book last year, Anonymous, a warning. Um, but, but this guy was you know, touted by the New York Times as a senior administration official. I can assure you, having been in D.C. for two decades now, uh, a chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security is not considered a senior administration official probably not even considered one of the top two or three dozen senior administration officials at the actual department, much less inside the entire administration. New York Times and Washington Post and everybody else has been using these anonymous sources and touting them as though they were somehow significant people, when in fact, at best, they're lower or mid-level staffers that have no decision-making authority, who are not involved, who are not in the know, who are not definitely not in the White House, involved in any major decision-making for an administration, especially Trump's. So this is absolutely insane what the media has done, the so-called media has done in using these anonymous sources and touting them, deceiving and lying to the American people, that somehow these sources with an axe to grind are significant decision-makers when in fact the opposite is true. I will say this, D.C. is full of arrogant, dumbass little pricks like Miles Taylor, who come in to D.C., who are crassly ambitious, who pursue power and influence and money, and who have no morals, no ethics, no standards of right and wrong, 
their, their goal is to achieve power and fame and influence. And they will literally do anything. I, I'd say these, these are the very dangerous types because they clearly will do anything to achieve their goals of power and money and influence. That's the scary part. I mean, D.C., of course, it's the center of power in this country. It attracts these types anyway. And they're everywhere in D.C., um, which is a shame. It's just a fact of life. But they, of course, find themselves useful idiots of the attack machine known as the so-called media. People have asked, too, what do I think is going to happen? How's this go- the, 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 how are the Philadelphia riots going to impact state of the race in Pennsylvania? I, I don't know that I have a firm answer on that. Not good. I'll tell you that much. The, the, the Democratic base is out there burning and rioting and looting and injuring 50 police officers. That doesn't play well uh, in the state. Because you, I, I tell people this all the time. If you were to car Philadelphia out of Pennsylvania, it's like Alabama. I mean, it's really a conservative state, except for Philadelphia and, and Pittsburgh, throwing Pittsburgh. You cut those two major urban areas out, and the state is very red. Same thing in Illinois. You cut out Cook County, which is Chicago. Illinois is a pretty red state. I mean, these are, these are states that the urban areas have a massive, it's like the three northern counties in Virginia, where I'm at. These heavily, these densely populated suburban slash urban areas are a real problem. Uh, because of, of their, their political influence on the rest of the state. That all to say, doesn't look good in a key battleground swing state to people that might have been undecided coming into the last week or two. Uh, it also is one of those things, does it disrupt some of the, or does, so the, my other theory is this, it either disrupts the Philadelphia machine uh, or it helps to obfuscate the shenanigans that they'll be up to, which worries me because I think you're going to see some crazy stuff coming out of the Philadelphia precincts where all of a sudden you'll see, you know, 110% turnout sort of thing, which they've been known to do in the past. So I I think there's a couple different things that could happen. We'll, We'll just have to see in about five days what are the impact of the Philadelphia riots. But it does remind people yet again, if you want law and order, you vote for Donald Trump. If you want mobs, you vote for Joe Biden because these people are these people are the left. They are they are the Democratic base. And I think coming into Election Day, post-Election Day, expect it. Expect to see cities burning. Expect to see looting, looting and rioting and all these things. I think Trump will have a very short leash on it. I think he'll invoke the Insurrection Act. Um, they're going to they're going to make an attempt to sow the chaos and dissension. I think even if Biden wins. Because I think the thing that needs to be understood is this far left that has taken over the Democratic Party does not feel constrained, cannot be constrained by Democratic leadership. And they have embraced the viper, Democrats have, with this far left. It is like fire, a wildfire, uncontrollable. And I think they're going to, I think they already are, but I think they will even more so learn that in the future when those that they have coddled and embraced for short-term political gain cause them significant damage when the American people wake up and go, the Democratic Party is the far left. The far left is the Democratic Party, and we want nothing to do with it. So that's why Trump's got to win. If Trump can win, a lot, of, a lot more of this stuff comes to the surface, and we're able to restructure administrative state, reimagine government, but also give the American people 
really even more information about what the left is up to and how the Democrats uh, are colluding with the far left here in this country. So hope you guys enjoyed enjoyed this podcast. Listen, get out and vote. Go if you haven't voted, go vote. Grab twenty of your friends and family. Make sure they vote on November third. I will say this again: America is the last best hope for freedom in this world, and the last best hope for America to be free is Donald Trump. So vote accordingly.